This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Home and Away podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I'm your host for the day, Nick Agar Johnson. And today as my guest, I have the man, the myth, the legend, the creator of chaos, conductor of chaos, Tyler Rucker. Tyler, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm doing good, Nick. Just, you know, dealing with the madness. Um, draft season's really just becoming a monster this time of the year, but we welcome it. That's that's what we love to do at No Ceilings. How are you doing, my friend? How, how's, how's life hanging in there? How's the grind treating you? I'm getting by. I'm getting by. You know, the the grind is the grind as, you know, is the most obvious statement I could possibly make. But, you know, that's how it is. This is the this is I don't know. I feel like this is the time of year in the draft space where it really it's like starting with the end of the tournament through now. People, you know, it tends to start lagging a bit. You know, we're rewatching the same film over and over again. So, you know, instead of doing that, why don't we break out the anarchy, as you mentioned, and. So you say in this article that we are discussing today, I'm just not a tier guy. So of course, we're going to spend the next hour discussing the article that you wrote about tiers. So a couple of weeks ago, you wrote the 2023 NBA draft tiers of anarchy. So before we start out with what I think will be a relatively straightforward exercise at the top, what was it that prompted you to write this tiers article, given how much you absolutely love tiers when it comes to the draft space? Yeah, I mean, I for everyone that hasn't checked it out, it's at nostealingsnba.com. Go, it's absolutely free. You get to read it for free. But over the years, I feel like I've got to talk to a lot of you know people in the draft community, a lot of maniacs who are obsessed with the with the draft, and a lot of them put out draft tiers. And um, as I said in the article, like I respect everyone that does it. I just said that's just never been something I could go all in on. I, I just couldn't find a way to kind of put everyone in tiers because I'm also just weighing it back and forth. And I was like, I have enough problems doing a big board early in the year for no ceilings. Like these guys forced me to do it and, and it's been great, but I was like, how can I, you know, make this my own flavor? Like how can I have my own twist on it? And I was just like, you know, I've seen a lot of pieces at the ringer and they do like power rankings, but they'll do it in like tiers with like funny headlines and stuff. And I was like, okay, I I respect that idea. And I was like, what if I could kind of do that about the draft? So, um, you know, I, I've been brainstorming like forever about wanting to do this. And one night I finally was like, just go all in. Here we go. And I feel like I was midway in and um, realized it was my turn to write. And I was like, well, perfect. I guess I'm I'm submitting it this week. So um, I had a lot of fun with this one because I also think it's just this draft class, especially there's a lot of different, you know, prospects that you can kind of tie into a tier of, you know, where I was going with creativity, where it was like, here's some upperclassmen, here's some sleepers, here's some athletic freaks. So I feel like I had some fun with it. And 
almost categorize them in a, in a different way than just putting them into like numbers. I wanted to have a little bit of craziness with it. So I, I, I'm happy with how it turned out. I felt bad for everyone listening because Nick always has to edit it. And I was like, gonna add like four more tiers. And then I was like, okay, I can erase this. I've gone long enough. This was, this was kind of word vomit, but I felt it had to be that way. Well, I appreciate the restraint, the the ever so slight modicum of restraint that you showed. Let's start with the top tier of the draft tiers of Anarchy. And as I, this is a bit of a self-explanatory tier, the You're a Freak tier. And in the, the You're a Freak tier, we have Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, and Amen Thompson. That's the top three of the draft for a number of people. I'm pretty confident that it's not the exact top three of the draft for both of us, but Pretty clearly, the top of the draft, you're going to have... I mean, I haven't seen anybody who's not had Weminyama number one in quite a while. It seems all but a lock that he's going to be the number one pick. With Scoot Henderson, there's been some conversation, including here on the No Seals NBA podcast feed recently, about whether Scoot might end up being number two or number three. And then with Amen Thompson, you know, people have the Thompson twins all over the place in terms of their placement on boards. But... When we're talking about this tier, I mean, again, it's pretty self-explanatory. These are three players who have absolutely, absolutely ridiculous toolkits. And, you know, it'll be, it remains to be seen how much of that they'll figure out on the NBA court. But when we're just talking about raw package of talent, these guys are the freaks of this draft class. Absolutely. And, And it was funny because I got some people absolutely loved this. And some people thought I was like putting them in order of where they would be on my big board. And I was like, Oh no, no, no. Like this isn't in order. I just have the tiers all over the place. So like, obviously it was probably a little confusing when I had like Victor and scoot one, two, and then a man, but I was just like, no, these, these are all over the place. This isn't any set order, like numbers or anything. I was just like, this is, you're a freak. And Victor scoot and a man. I, I think if you're thinking of those three guys in this draft class, immediately they're going to jump off with their freakish tools. And, and you know, Victor Wembanyama, international prospect, seven foot four, potential eight foot wingspan. I mean, looks like a guard on the court. He's he is an alien. That's why we've been saying it all year. Scoot Henderson, six three with a plus six wingspan. I think off the top of my head, is that correct, Nick? Or am I okay? Uh, I believe so, off the top of my head. But my, okay. top of my head could be just as wrong as yours. Yeah, yeah. So I, he's got a six nine wingspan, um, and just his frame, his strength, his ability to live above the rim. Like I consider him a freak and a man Thompson. Like if you've been following the draft at all, you know about a man Thompson. He is a fighter jet taken off of the runway whenever he's in transition. So those were the three guys I felt pretty good about like, okay, this is a fun little, you know, appetizer to start it off. Like you're, you're a freak. And it's funny with some of these titles, I was just like, okay, like how can I get creative? And this one, I was like, this is the easiest one. You're a freak. Like these are all freaks. So up next, we have the I Can't Stop Loving You tier. And so in this tier, we have Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore, Anthony Black, and Jet Howard. And so starting at the top of the list with Miller, again, you know, almost a lock at this point to be in the top three of, you know, pretty much, it seems like pretty much everybody's boards will have him somewhere in the top three. Where they have him is a different question, but just absolutely insane shooting ability from outside, showing more and more on the ball. You link to the other Tyler, Tyler Metcalf's article, breaking down his on-ball creation in the piece. You know, he's clearly someone who, there are a lot of people in the draft space who have fallen in love with his game. You know, maybe he's not quite the same sort of freak as the guys in the top tier, but, I mean, it 
he there's a very good chance that he will end up going ahead of one, if not two of those guys in that tier. And then, I mean, with Cam Whitmore up next, he had a really great second half of the year, you know, struggled early on. A lot of that was due to coming back from injury. But I mean, you know, I think that one of the, one of the parts of Cam Whitmore's game that you and I have both continued to go back to is how dominant he was in FIBA U19s, just absolutely special performance for him in that. And then, you know, last two names on the list here, Anthony Black, Jed Howard, very interesting in sort of the fact that those two guys have slid up and down sort of top 10 rankings pretty much all year. But I mean, put it this way, in terms of putting these guys in this tier, I get why they're guys that you fell in love with in this draft class. Yeah, I tried to I tried to almost keep it open a little bit to, you know, not the obvious ones, but I was like, oh, yeah, Brandon Miller and Whitmore, obviously, the, the more I watch, the more I'm just like, okay, I'm in love with them as prospects. And Whitmore is just one of those guys I believe that all the tools are going to come together because of what, as you mentioned, seeing him at FIBA and how dominant he was. And I think the shot's trending in the right direction. And his second half of the season for Villanova compared to, you know, he had that preseason thumb injury kind of came in trying to catch up to everything. And, um, you know, I think Jed Howard was probably the first name. People were probably a little surprised to be like, Oh, you're, you're still in love with Jed Howard. And I was like, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of guys that know ceilings, especially that are in love with Jed Howard. I think there's a lot in the draft community that are still believing. And it's just been one of those curious names that seems like he's, he's the prospect everyone's cooling off a little bit on. And I don't know if it's just because he was sort of like a one trick pony at, at Michigan or everyone just thinks like, Oh, well, he's a really good shooter, but what else? And it's like, well, I think there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of creation. And I think at the NBA level, he's just going to be a player that plays for a long time. And that's why I threw him in this category. Cause I was just like, the more I watch Jet Howard, the more I'm just like, don't, don't over, overthink it, which is a piece I wrote about <laughs> early on. And I was like, just, I test does it does it check out and I was like yes I'm I'm gonna believe in Jed Howard. It's funny because it actually wasn't that early on. Your overthinking article was in like late February, if I'm remembering oh, correctly. Well, that's from March <laughs> or from February to now seems like two weeks. So, yeah, there it's, you go. It's both that's two weeks and like 14 years. So yeah, yes, so exhausting and I love it. That's why I'm just you know I'm on like third third cup of coffee already. There we go. Yeah. March 8th, you wrote that article. Less than okay. yeah, <laughs> two so months ago. <laughs> less than two months ago. It seemed way longer ago. But, uh, you know, hey, we're having fun here. And I love Anthony Black. Every time I watch him, I think the why I put Anthony Black in here is like everyone will be like, oh, like the offensive side. The defense actually continues to get me like falling head over heels when it comes to him as a prospect. And I still believe he's going to end up going in the top 10. It's just with all these mock drafts, was it's hard sometimes because you want to put someone somewhere else to get another like, well, this could happen, but I don't know. I don't know if it, when it comes down to it, I don't know if I could see him slipping out of the top 10. Yeah, it's interesting because I have Anthony Black just outside of the top 10, but I, I mean, I get it. It's, yeah, <laughs> you know, very, very clearly, like if he's taken in the top 10, it won't be, you know, like every year there's someone taken in the top 10 who like, like a bit of a double take or, you know, someone in the lottery where it's like a bit of a double take. If Anthony Black is a lot higher than where I have him at 12th, I will not be surprised at all. No, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, we get to six. I, I don't think I'll be surprised if he's there. I just think he, some team's going to be head over heels and falling in love. And that's why I got him in this because even if we have him lower does not mean, you know, I think a lot of people, if we, someone has, is like, Oh, he's 12th on my board. It's like, we still can believe he goes sixth. We just have him 12th. Like, it's not like we're not a fan of his game. And 
Um, I think I have Anthony Black maybe 11 off the top of my head, but I could easily going see him going much higher because all it takes is one front office and six seven connector with great defensive potential and playmaking. I I think there's a lot to like. As for Jed Howard and cooling on Jed Howard, let's just say that we may or may not have an article going up on NoSealingsNBA.com about that uh, either before or shortly after you are listening to this podcast. Let's move on to the next section here, which you titled Lunch Pail and a Hard Hat. And at the top of this group are three of our favorite, honestly, all four of the guys in this group are our four of our shared favorite guys in this class. Jairus Walker, Kaysen Wallace, Colby Jones, Marcus Sasser. Jairus Walker, I mean, you know, we talked about this, how, you know, in the year of free tier, your top three might just be that tier, but Brandon Miller is third on my board, who's in the previous tier, and Jairus Walker is fourth on my board, so in this tier. And the thing with Walker is it's very interesting because a lot of the appeal with him is sort of rooted in stuff that he only got to show in glimpses at Houston. He was very de-emphasized from their offense, especially the first half of the season. And, you know, the more opportunities that he got with the ball in his hands, the more he showed what he can do on offense. But even without that, this dude is a destroyer of worlds on the defensive end, which, you know, kind of fits in with Casey Wallace as well. I mean, two absolute defensive menaces at the top of this group. I made this tier because I was just like, these guys are going to come in and do all the dirty work. They're going to, they might not drop 20 points, but they might impact the game all over the place on both sides of the floor. And I had some people comment and be like, why isn't this guy in this one? And I was like, well, I could have put Jairus Walker in four different tiers probably, but I literally made a tier around him because that's how I feel of him. And I absolutely love him. I think he's going to come in and be a guy that's, you know, he might have eight points, 12 rebounds, five assists, three blocks and two steals, just all over the place. Um, I, I, and we continue to say, we've said it all year. Like he had some unbelievable playmaking flashes at Houston. And if you go back to high school, there's a lot of them. They're, like it, it's not fluky. It, he's got a lot of stuff in the game. The defensive potential is legit. So Jarris was an easy one to put up here. I feel the same way about Casey Wallace. I continue to think he's one of the safest guys. Like Jarris and Casey, in my opinion, are two of the safest lottery picks, I think, in this class, just because I think they have high floors. Like if their offensive game doesn't develop, you know, three levels or whatever you want to say it. I still think they have a way of contributing like right now where it comes to their defensive potential, their defensive ability, their, their ability to be a complimentary piece with the team. So those two, I absolutely love Colby Jones. I've, you know, just adored all year. Um, and then Marcus Sasser, I, I, I just said in the article, I was like, if I needed a floor general in this class to go to war with, obviously leaving Scoot Henderson out of this, but <laughs> Sasser would be at the top of my list. I love the way he plays. I think he's, a dynamic offensive weapon. Um, I think he's gritty on the defensive side of the ball. And I think he's one of those guards that wherever he gets drafted, he's going to be ready to go. He's going to not be afraid of the moment. And um, just a fun, fun little tear. That's like when I was getting into that part of this article, I was like, okay, this is fun. I like this. Now this tier stuff I can get into, but um, yeah, just, just grab the lunch pail and hard hat. Those guys are always going to make a team better. And I think, all those guys are going to have long careers at the next level. I think you and I have talked more about Casey Wallace than literally every other prospect yeah. in, this, <laughs> in this draft class. So, you know, we can we can you know leave that a bit on the cutting room floor. But you know, with with Sasser, I mean, he's someone who 
I've had as a first rounder basically all year long. And there have been a number of times where there have been guys lower than him on the list where it's like, you know, would I really rather have Sasser over, say, Ryan Repair, who's like right at the top of my second round and has been for most of the year? Like, would I really rather have Marcus Sasser than Tariq Whitehead, who I have lower than him on my board, but still is a first rounder, right? It's like every time I've had the thought of, you know, do I want to bump someone up? That's, I think, a conversation that we have frequently in draft space and still could be served by having this conversation more often of if you're bumping this guy into your first round, someone's got to go out, right? There are only 30 slots in the first round. And ultimately for me with Marcus Sasser, it was like, there are many, many other prospects who I could consider, right? To be bumped into the first round. But if I have to bump Marcus Sasser to the second round to get that guy in the first, you know, time and time again, my, my decision there was no, actually I'm going to leave Marcus where he is. I'm going to leave him where he is, you know? And if we're talking about, you know, how many, again, there are only 30 slots in the first round, right? And if you're calling someone a first rounder, you have to be able to back that up by saying, I guess I'm not quite as high on guys X, Y, and Z because, you know, those are the guys that I'm bumping to get these other guys in my first round. It, I've done the same exact exercise all year. Like, I, it's a terrifying year when you get to like 25 to 35 because I like so many of those guys and there's, I'll ha- I have like four guys from 31 to 34 ish that I'm like, I could have them in the first round easily. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, who am I taking out? And Sasser has been one of those guys all year that I'm like, he's a first rounder. Like in my eyes, I'm just like, I'm betting on him as a first rounder. And you know, I've, I've had him at 22. I've had him at 28. I've had him at 27. Like I go back and forth, but in my, when I'm at this point of the year, I'm going one by one and I'm like, who would you rather pick? And then I'm like, Sasser's always been winning in that range. I'm always like, I, I would want Sasser. If I'm picking in that range, I would love to walk away with a late first round pick and get Marcus Sasser. So like you said, there's only 30 spots. So it, it is tough, but throughout the year, especially with his second half of the season where like, you know, he's coming back from an injury his junior year. He was fantastic at the combine. Some people thought he might stay in the draft and, kind of shocked people. And I thought if he stays in the draft, I think he's got a shot to go in the first round last year. And then he went back and I feel like he was a little rusty in the beginning of the year, kind of trying to carry the load and get back to his old self. And then second half of the season, he was awesome. I was like, okay, here it is. And here's, here's the Sasser I remember. And um, I just continue to believe at that range. That's a, that's a heck of a steal. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so let's move on now to the next tier on the list, which you have simply titled 
let me give you buckets. And this tier, Keontae George, Bryce Sensabaugh, Turquavion Smith. Keontae, we'll circle back to, but you know, just on my end quickly, I've had him as a top 10 guy basically all year. I've been a lot more pleasantly surprised. You linked to Metcalf's article on his playmaking in the piece. I've been a lot more pleasantly surprised that, by the playmaking than I think I expected to be, which is part of why I've been as high on Keontae as I have been all year long. Up next, Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State. I am pretty confident that you and I are on the same page with not having him as like a top five guy because the defense is a problem, like a genuine serious problem. But I mean, just in terms of the scoring versatility alone, you know, I've I've sort of had to bump him up higher than I wanted to because at a certain point you can't ignore what he's done with the ball in his hands on offense. And then Turquoise Smith out of NC State, who is someone who I've had near the first round basically since like you know the end of last season. It's very interesting. You mentioned the playmaking improvements. That's you know certainly key with him. I think part of him getting more assists per game is just that Darian Sebron's no longer in the picture. But you know even so, Turquavion did at least do a little bit more in terms of you know creating shots for others rather than just looking for his own points. But it's a very interesting tier because all three of these guys have you know really similar sort of shot creation type of tools in their bag, but. They're all very different places on my board, personally. A little bit of like wild card city with this tier, um, because I've seen a lot of people that are just like, I'm buying Keontae. I'm, I'm a believer. I've seen some people that are concerned about his, you know, end of the season where he was a little banged up, but the shooting percentages just kind of went downhill in a hurry. He's just one of those guys that it's the eye test for me. Like I, I'm watching him and I'm like, just at first, like, you know, when I'm evaluating guys at first, I'm just like, Throw, don't tell me numbers. Just let me watch. Let me figure out what he can do on the court. And when Keontae's cooking, I, I've said it before on another podcast. I was like, I will put his highs with anybody in this class. Like when Keontae's in a zone, he is dangerous. He's dangerous from multiple levels. His outside shooting, he can just take over. And I believe playing at Baylor, they had a crowded backcourt. And it was kind of like, okay, you now it's your turn. Like I hand it off to somebody else. And now it's Keontae's turn. So I think he might have a better little fit at the next level. And I, I wanted to make this tier because of the way the NBA's kind of transformed into just offensive supernova where it's like, <laughs> we're not hunting those defensive guys as much now. Now it's like, go get us points. We need to score. We need to put up big numbers. And Keontae's up there. I still have him in my top 10. Um, Sensible is a, a player that I think teams, like I've had him lower um, I have him at 17 now. I've moved him up a little bit. It wasn't easy to do, but I feel really good where he's at right now for my rankings. I know some people are absolutely in love with him, but it's like I continue to say I want him to go later because I think if he goes to a team that wants to utilize his skill right away and maybe it's a better roster that's like, hey, we're right. We're a playoff team, but if we add Sensible into the mix, my goodness, look at the burst we just got in our rotation and that's where I get really pumped about his tools. But if he's going to a, you know, a lottery rebuilding team and they're like, we need Sensible to be a two-way guy, that's where I could see some flags go up. But he's such a he's got one of the prettiest strokes in this class. Um, really, really effective. And he's putting up numbers that are too impressive to ignore. So I understand when people are just, you know, head over heels about him. And then Turkavion, I, I just had to throw in there because he's I'm right there with you, Nick. He's been a guy that I've had back and forth all year where it's like, I have him in my first round. I still have him right now, but he's just 
hanging on by a thread. And, <laughs> and every time I want to move him down, I'm like, he went back. I go back to the combine. He was just, it looked like a guy that didn't like shouldn't have played at the combine. He was just that dominant. I was like, my goodness. Okay. And then he went back, which I love. I thought he got better in some of the games. I or areas of his game. I was concerned about, like, I thought he made an effort to be aggressive attacking. I thought his playmaking was better. And obviously I'm buying in on the shot selection, kind of getting a vanilla down when he's playing at the NBA. But there's some games where it's a little crazy. It's J.R. Smith green light like. And I, I I do think that's just him being the guy. And, you know, some games he's hitting from the parking lot and he just can't miss. And other games he's taking them and I'm like, whoa, calm down. But with the NBA, I could see some team in the late first round being like, here's a microwave potential game changing asset we can add to our bench. So the next year you titled the fit will be fascinating. And so I'll go through the players in this tier first. You have Jordan Hawkins, Gigi Jackson, and Le- Leonard Miller. Yeah. Uh, for Gigi and Leonard Miller, I totally agree with you. The fit will be a huge part of it. It'll be fascinating to determine. I am curious, though. We've talked quite a bit about Jordan Hawkins, and yeah. we're going to do it again right here. I'm curious as to why you have him in this tier because I think he's one of the easiest fits in this class, right? He's just off-ball shooter, you know, runs around 74,000 screens every play and is a really great off-ball defender on the other end. I find it – I'm trying to think of a team that he doesn't fit, honestly, and that's a bit harder for me. So I'm curious why you have him in this tier because I feel like he's one of the easiest fits there is in this class. I think I I might have even spoke with you on a um, deep dives pod about it, but – I think when I was trying to say with the fit and I've had people that were questioning it, but I was like, I want someone to let Jordan Hawkins be Jordan Hawkins fully. Like, I don't want someone to try to water him down even as a rookie. Like I want someone to be like, we're running the set and Jordan's running off three screens and it's going to run people to death and do what he did at UConn. Like I, I, that's why I'm saying like the fit will be interesting. If you're drafting Jordan to be like, we have a plan in place to let Jordan Hawkins just run wild and and be this dynamic weapon. I think he's going to be awesome. I think he's going to be so damn good at the next level. Like he's been one of my favorite guys this whole year. Um and I'm not surprised that everyone's falling in love with him because he he's one of like he's I don't throw his name around but he's like the idea of Ray Allen coming in where it's just like Rip Hamilton. You just have to he's going to give headaches to someone. Like Jordan Hawkins coming in the league and like a 9-year NBA vet getting told like okay, you got to deal with Jordan Hawkins all night. And he's gonna be like, what the heck? This is annoying. I don't want to deal with this guy. So I think that's where I was trying to go out with the fit. Like, I think in theory, he should be a slam dunk pick for any team in the NBA, but I don't want someone to be like, okay, let's, let's tame the beast a little bit. I want to be, no, let him run, let him go crazy. Like that is going to give you such a good, unique twist in your offense that defenses are going to prepare, are going to have to, prepare for even as a rookie because all he does is run off a couple screens and we saw how exhausting it looks to have to deal with him at college i can't imagine nba veterans like getting pumped up to be like okay i'm dealing with jordan hawkins for 48 minutes like that's that's what i was going at i i still think he's gonna be an absolute steal wherever he goes i could see him going to top 10 i would not shock me um but i just want someone to be all in be all in on the Jordan Hawkins experience. That's what I was trying to go at. Yeah. I guess, I guess the question with the fit there is, you know, really just if he goes to like a top 
17, they probably immediately make him one of the feature guys in the offense. If not, then maybe it's like, a, okay, you know, there's 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Our play got blown up, I guess. Just run some off-ball screens for Jordan and we'll make it work rather than like, no, we're actually emphasizing him as part of the offense. I guess a lot of that might depend on just which kind of team ends up with him. Because like, if he ends up going to you know, top tier playoff team is going to be like, all right, Jordan's part of the rotation. He's one of our shooting threats. Great. If he goes to a terrible team, then maybe, I don't know. I mean, I find it hard to sort of imagine that a team will find a way to overuse Jordan Hawkins. I guess if they think of him as a point guard is really the only way. Like, and I'm not trying to say they're a terrible team, but uh, like Orlando, like if he went to Orlando, are you still going to run offensive sets to let Jordan Hawkins run wild? Or are you going to have him kind of just spacing the floor with Paulo getting the ball in the post or sure. Like that's where I'm trying to say, like I want someone to draft him and being like, we're installing 20 plays, you know, I'm just throwing out a number, but 20 right. plays that are just Jordan Hawkins mania. And I guess that's where I'm at where it's like, get creative and let him do what he does. Let him go crazy. But I'm right there with you. I think that's that's where I was heading with the fit. Is like, I think I said with Metcalf or something, but I was like, a, a wild world where like Golden State traded up. I'd be like, oh my gosh, that I know they're gonna get let Jordan Hawkins do exactly what <laughs> Steph and Clay do. But that's where I'm just you know letting my my mind go crazy because obviously they probably won't do that because they just give Jordan Poole all the money in the world. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know Sacramento yeah. if they somehow tra- Sacramento traded up for him, like. That'd be fun. That fit. That would be that'd be fantastic. That'd be <laughs> awesome. So, um, I don't know. That's that's why I had him in that category. And then, um, I don't know if you want to touch on the other guys, but you know, I just Hawkins. I'm right there with you, Nick. Don't worry. I, I'm okay. still believing. I'm still. Believing. I was I was scared for a second. No, I mean I think the other two make perfect yeah. sense for this tier, right? With Gigi, it's like some team could fall too much in love with him, and he could play his way out of the league after his first contract. Like I fully believe that's a possibility. I don't think it's all that likely, but you know, I think there's a situation where he ends up in the wrong place and it really tanks his NBA career versus he ends up in the right place and, you know, maybe turns into the kind of player that, you know, people were hoping that he could be, which, you know, again, he just spent half the season in college as a 17 year old playing for a talk shit team around him. Right. You know, there's, there's still a lot left to be determined with G Jackson. And then with Leonard Miller, I mean, I think the best parts of Leonard Miller this year have been the kinds of things that fit with every team, just being a high energy, you know, athletic big man type. But I think it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because, you know, there is this sort of theoretical Leonard Miller, like on ball Leonard Miller that could grow into something special in the right spot. I think that most of the best stuff that he did this season for the G League Ignite was the sort of energy big man thing that can fit in anywhere. But there is a world in which he gets to a team that can unlock sort of the parts of Leonard Miller that some people were very excited about heading into last year. Let's put it that way. But on to the next section here. Awesome tools. Can they be unlocked? You have Jalen Hochefino, Maxwell Lewis, Bilal Koulibaly, and Ryan Repair. So Koulibaly and Repair, we've both talked about quite a bit on Deep Dive, so we can focus on the other two guys in this tier. But with Repair and Koulibaly, I mean, they just have the tools to be absolutely special defensively. And the question is how much of that gets unlocked. With Jalen Huchofino, it's very interesting. His stock has been an absolute roller coaster this season. He's gone from 
top 10 guy to like out of the top 50 for a bit there in like December, January to, you know, now I think seems pretty solidified as a first round guy. And the question is where in the first, I still have him as a lottery guy. I mean, I think what he can do with the ball in his hands is special. I think his on ball defense, he had some incredible moments this season as an on ball defender and then with Maxwell Lewis, it's, you know, Max Lewis is just a crazy scorer. And that's going to be, you know, maybe the defense's question, you know, <laughs> for the longer term rather than just the short term. But, you know, there's a lot of exceptional stuff that Max Lewis showed on the offensive end this season. Hood Shafino has been like a, I feel like scientists are going to look back and like monitor the the movement he's had <laughs> in the draft community. I mean, we I did a podcast with Corey for the draft act earlier this year. And it was like right after a mock came out on one of the mainstream big boards and our mainstream sites. And they didn't even have him in the top 60. And I was like, what the heck are we doing? Like, and it, it was in the midst of Hutchifino was like having one of his best stretches of the year. And I was like, it's a first round pick. What are you guys doing? And I'm not trying to act like I know it all because that's not true at all. But I was just like, I, me and Corey brought up in that episode, we were like, is there horrendous intel? Like, is there something going on? And he had a back injury. Like, it was either happening right then or right before. And I was like, is the back injury really bad? And I think that's what we're talking about. Like, yes. in those feelings, like, that back injury must be just absolutely brutal yes. if they're <laughs> talking about it in this light. I was like, okay, if the back is that bad, that makes sense for not having him projected because maybe some people are like, he's got to be back for another year. Um, who knows? So I, I just watch him with the size and how smooth he is as a ball handler. Like a lot of people are, it's been unbelievable to monitor just talking to some people. They just have them all over the place. Some people are like, I'm not in at all. Some people are like, I'm in love. It's just like, Whoa, there's a wide range. So six, six, I think he's got a ton of potential, ton of upside. I really like the playmaking. I think he's got a great feel for getting to his spot. So I'm buying Huchifino as a top 20 guy. Um, And then Maxwell Lewis, I just, Anytime I have doubt, I go back and watch his his film and I'm like, what am I confused about? Like, I just like his tools so much. He's a late bloomer. I think he's going to go somewhere and like on draft night, I'm just going to do the biggest fist pump, like went to the right place where it's like maybe Utah takes him with their second pick or something like that, where I'm just like, that's a place that's going to let him develop some confidence. They're not going to be in a rush because I do think whoever takes Max Lewis and and lets him find his groove, you could find gold. He is incredibly talented. He has some of the best offensive flashes I've seen from wings in this class. So I, I really, really like Maxwell Lewis. And I just want someone to unlock the tools. That's why I put him in that category. Because I was like, he has all of it. It's just, can someone unlock it? And that's uh, going to come down to Intel. It's going to come down to intangibles. Like, does he have the the patience and the mentality to be like, be a hard worker, wait your time, and then, you know, Sooner or later, those skills are going to come together, and there's going to be a heck of a basketball player waiting to be unlocked. Yeah. Evan wrote an exceptional article about Max Lewis last yes. Wednesday on NoSeansNBA.com. So if you have not checked that out yet, be sure to do so. That was wonderful work by Evan. Up next, we have the Don't Overthink It tier. And we did a deep dives podcast about your It's Overthinking Season article, which you have linked here in this Don't Overthink It section. And players in this section you have asar thompson taylor hendricks kobe buffkin grady dick so starting out with um 
why don't we start out with Grady Dick? Because he's someone who you mentioned going back and forth on throughout the year. I've done the same, and I think I ended up with him lower than I might have thought after all of that. You know, I think part of it is just watching Grady Dick side by side with Jordan Hawkins made me realize how much more I like Jordan Hawkins' film. But, you know, there's definitely, with Grady Dick, I mean, there's a level to which I don't think I would drop him. And that's just, ultimately, I think he's going to be a long-term NBA player. I think he's a good enough shooter that he's going to be a long-term NBA player. And, you know, also, I mean, there was a one playback, well, one playback I did with Steven earlier this season where we were watching the game and Grady Dick had, I think it was like 19 points at halftime or something. And then the second half, he didn't score at all, but the entire Jayhawks offense was just taking advantage of the gigantic hole that was left because all the defensive attention was focused on keeping Grady Dick out of the game. You know, he did enough in that game, you know, as a passer playmaker that I feel like it'll be impossible to stymie him completely, which again is why there's a certain point that I'm not going to drop him below. But it's interesting because I feel like the more comparisons I've done with Grady Dick and other prospects in this class, the more I'm dropping Grady Dick rather than the other way around. I right there with you. Um, I had him much higher earlier in the year and I was moving him down a bunch. And then I, that's why I actually was pumped to do this piece because I was writing it and doing my tears. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand why people do tears now. Cause this helped me, <laughs> but I was, I am overthinking him as a prospect. And just because, you know, I, I still have him, I have him at 15 right now. Now it's not my final rankings. I might tinker with it a little bit, but I've moved him back up. And it's because I, the the idea of what Greedy Dick can do on the court, the you know his NBA skills at the next level, I'm like those are gonna with this NBA right now. I believe he's going to play a long time because he's a smart player. He can get cooking from outside in a hurry. He understands like he he might not be the greatest defensive player, but he's a really good team. I think defensive connecting piece. Like he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna play himself off the court. And at six eight with the shot making he has the off ball awareness on both sides of the floor. I, I just continue to move him up because there's guys in the league that are carving out roles and having lengthy careers that, you know, no disrespect to them. I think Grady Dick has more potential and upside than they do. So that's where I'm like, I think some team's going to get a great player. Now he can go much earlier than I have him. I'm, I wouldn't be shocked because like we said, all it takes is one team to fall in love with them. But um, I've been doing the exact same dance that you you're hinting right there, Nick. Like I, I was like, I don't know. Like I like this guy a little more. And then I just got to one point, right. Time of the year. And I was like, I'm overthinking this, this kid could play. He's smart. He's got good size. He could shoot the cover off the ball. Great cutter. Like I was just like, he checks a lot of boxes. So, um, I don't have to have him a top 10 pick, but I like his game. And I think at some point in the first round, he's going to be outstanding value. So I want to talk about the last two guys in this category together because I sort of view them in a similar light this year. But let's, before we get to those two, talk about Asar Thompson. And yeah. this is an interesting one because, you know, as you mentioned up top and repeatedly reemphasized, because it's important, this is not a direct big board of yours, right? And so the fact that Asar Thompson is in this category, whereas Amen Thompson is, you know, all the way up at the top in the first category, I mean... If I'm remembering correctly, you had Asar ahead of a man for most of the year, right? Still do. 
Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. Right. That's that's you know a whole part of it right there is you know you have a man in the first tier and yet here's Asar down here, but the idea being. It's almost opposites, right? Where with a man, it's like he's in the top tier because of the absolute, absolute peak of what he can be. But there's a lot of wiggle room and gray area in between. Whereas with for SR, it's more like, you know, okay, there are going to be a lot of people who look at the competition level in OTE and say, oh, you know, these two, they're just beating up on high school kids. It's like, well, you know, we've seen enough from SR that I feel pretty confident that it's not just him beating up on high schoolers. Yeah, and that was... Someone called me out and was like, Asar needs to be way higher. And I was like, my man, this, these are not numbered tiers. These are just all over the place. Like, I, I was like, I, if anything, when I did this, I was like, I think I'm giving a compliment to Asar, like having him in this tier. Because I was just like, this isn't an order. This is just spread on out. And I have these guys in this tier. So like overthinking, I was like, I think a lot of people are overthinking Asar. Like, I think a lot of us are, and we've all been talking about the Thompson twins. We're going back and forth. They're the hot topic right now because everyone's like, you have your diehards that are buying into them being top five picks. You have your other guys that are like, eh, I don't know, like OTE competition level. And I was like, regardless of what I think of what they did this year, when I'm watching tape on Asar, I see a lot of areas that I think he's going to be able to translate and have a lengthy career. And I say that a lot about a lot of guys, but I think a SARS fit and I think he could be, you know, the more desired prospects when it comes to like, obviously a men's fantastic. I think his fits more dependent. I think a SAR has kind of an easier fit and more teams will be intrigued to add him because he could play off the ball. He's smart playmaker, willing to make the extra pass. Um, I think he's got some good defensive upside. So it was just funny with, with the tier thing. I had some people like, well, sorry, needs to be hired. I was like, guys, these aren't in numbers. Like, I'm not just, you know, this isn't a big boy ring. I'm just having them in categories, in tiers. And I know the traditional tier thing is like, okay, this is my first tier. This is my sixth. I was like, these are just categories. I'm just throwing them in tier, funny, chaotic tier names. And um, it was just it was just funny to me because I was like, I thought I was complimenting Asar by having him here. So um, I'm just... I'm a big fan of his. I, I have been all year. I've had him above his brother. Got him six and seven on my board. So it's not like I'm, you know, one's high and one's at 30. It's like they're neck and neck. Well, you know, I have him six and seven on my board. Just that's, exactly that's flipped. Yeah. <laughs> well, not that smart because I haven't flipped, but, you know. It's okay. It's okay. I like that. And uh, I know there's going to be a ton of people that have him in above. But I just, I'm, I've been a fan of Asar. And from what I saw in person, I got to go with my gut at this point. So the final two guys in this tier, I wanted to group together because these are both guys who I was not convinced to start the year. And I took a lot longer to be one over, I think, than a lot of the other people at No Ceilings. I mean, as I mentioned in my the volume three of Editor's Notes, uh, you and Metcalf were on Kobe Lufkin way earlier than I was, and it took me a while to come around. And I was convinced eventually, so I'm not wrong all the time, not wrong all year, at least. And then Taylor Hendricks was sort of a similar thing where, you know, early on in the season, he was spectacular for UCF. And it's like, okay, this guy's a first rounder, but, you know, what kind of first rounder are we talking here? Like, is this, you know, guy in the 20s? And, you know, he was guy in the 20s for me for a while. Is this guy in the teens? And then he was guy in the teens for me for a while. And then guy in the lottery. And, you know, now I have him 11th on my board. And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who have him even higher than that. He's someone who, you know, it took around, it took a while for me to come around on him and Kobe Buffkin. But now that I have, I get it. And I'm sorry for being wrong for as long as I was wrong. 
No, I mean, Buffkin's just special player. I absolutely love every, I just actually, while people are listening to this, I'm going to have another um, segment of basketball bandits on our YouTube channel, where I basically just talked about his defense and what makes him such a special prospect. Every time I watch this film, I'm just like, Oh gosh, this is going to be, someone's got a shot to get a really serious player. Um, and it's going to be really fascinating to watch his stock in the pre-draft pre- process because I think he's been sizzling. I think a strong pre-draft process could get him in that top 10 conversation. Um, but Hendricks, I'm right there with you. He was so fascinating all year because this forward out of UCF freshman, I think people were like, oh yeah, he's a late first rounder. And then everyone was waiting for him to cool off or like hit that wall or someone figure him out. And he just kept producing kept producing, kept being efficient. And it was just like, just slowly kept going up boards. And then at a point it was like, oh, he's just going to do this all year. And then everyone now is like lottery top 10. So he's, he's a fun one. And and I also feel like he's the perfect player of that, you know, that arch type, if you want to put it that way, where it's like, he's the forward that could be a shot blocker that spaces the floor where like you're getting in that range where if you want one of those, after you get past like Jairus Walker and Cam Whitmore, it's like, who's the next one? And a lot of people are going to be like, that's Hendricks. So if you want one of those, he's not going to last long because there's a lot of wings, a lot of guards. And then if you want that rim protecting floor spacing big or forward, Taylor Hendricks is you're going to have to go get him. So I, I think he's just, it's the perfect, you know, kind of board or draft class for him to really make some noise. Next section, you called the Improvement Truthers, and this is a very fun section for me because it's three of my absolute favorite players in this draft class, and one guy who I was completely fed up with until he completely changed his game this season, so credit to him for that, but Trace Jackson Davis is someone who I was not expecting to be won over by this year in any real capacity, and instead he became one of, if not the best playmaking bigs in this class. It's like, okay, I guess I have to reevaluate because this is not the dude who I've been evaluating for the past few years. It was unbelievable. Like I was a fan of his last year, and I thought he was just going to be this really intriguing, like second round, like oh, this could be a serious value. And then he decided to go back, and I was like. For the love of drafts community, please get an outside shot. Just anything. Like, I don't care if you go out and just shoot 30% from three, like, it's going to be the biggest game changer ever. And the leap he took as a playmaker, I was like, I did not see that coming. Like, it, it was just remarkable. So I liked him last year as like a second round. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I love him. And he's just been nasty all year. So I, I still, you know, I believe in him as potentially being a heck of a pick for someone. Um, just, just interesting. Like he, I even put in, I was like, what else does he need to do? He went crazy this year. Um, average 20 and 10 with like almost, I think three blocks a game, four assists, like just video game numbers. And the other three guys on this list, I don't particularly need to belabor the point. These are three guys who I absolutely love. Julian Strother, Chris Murray, Jaime Jaquez, just three upperclassmen dudes who have proven that they will be valuable pieces for your team on both ends of the floor. With Strother, his shooting went from really top-notch to absolutely elite this year. With Chris Murray, I mean, you know, before the season started, I was thinking, you know, maybe he can fill a similar role to what Keegan did last year. And sure enough, he went out and basically put up, you know, slightly worse numbers than Keegan, but I mean, 20 and eight for the season, you know, and 
his three-point shooting numbers fell off down the stretch run of the season, which was a bit concerning, but I still buy into the shot completely and fully. And I'd be surprised if he's not a long-term NBA role player. And on a similar boat, Jaime Jaquez, I mean, the three-point shooting didn't quite pick up to the level where, you know, if it would pick up to his sophomore year level, then this would be a much easier sell with Jaime Jaquez. But I have not backed off of him being a first-round guy since last year. And I continue to have him as a first-round guy. I mean, he just does so much for a team on both ends of the floor. And if you're drafting him, you know, first of all, you shouldn't be expecting him to be the player that he was at UCLA this year. But second of all, I mean, that's not where his real NBA skill lies, right? You know, he's he's a connecting piece. He's not a you know primary option type of piece. And even so, he still did quite well as a primary option for UCLA this year. I always, I even said this in my piece, but every draft cycle, I'm wanting to go to bat for all the upperclassmen because I do think you always find and draft. And I don't have like all the numbers, but I feel like every draft class there's an upperclassman that you're just like, how did he fall that late? It's because it's like, oh, he's older, and teams are chasing the potential instead of looking at productive players that got better each year at college. So I wanted to give these guys some spotlight because all of these guys played multiple years; they got better each year. What else do we need them to do? And Sure, they don't. They might not have the upside to be superstars, but I think these guys all could be fantastic gets for like a playoff team. And Strother, I'm right there with you. I absolutely adore him. I love him. I have him um, as a first rounder. Um, Chris Murray, absolutely love him. I think he's going to be one of those guys that just kind of is a ghost in this process. And then on draft night, we're like, whoop, someone got a really nice pick. And then Hame Hawkes just. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The three-point shot isn't, you know, didn't take that leap this year, but he also got to a point where he was like, I'm becoming very effective inside the arc, and I just think some team's going to get an absolute gamer. He's going to be a guy that we're like, oh, Hame Hawkeye's played 10 years in the league. Like, just feisty, can play, knows his strengths, doesn't try to make life difficult, and um, I just like all those guys. Speaking of guys who are gamers, the next tier you have here is Loving the Grit. And these are three guys who, you know, I think we're at a pretty similar page on with these three guys, although I think two of them in particular have been favorites of both of ours. Mike Miles Jr., AirPods, Brandon Pozemski, and Julian Phillips out of Tennessee. Julian Phillips is someone who I think I was a bit too excited about earlier in the year, and I've dropped him a bit, but that's that isn't really telling of sort of how I feel about him. It's more just that, you know, other guys have slightly climbed ahead of him, but I still can't quit Julian Phillips. I think he's someone who's going to be a long-term serious defensive piece for a team. And if he can cobble together the offensive tools for longer than a few minutes at a time, I think he has the chance to be someone special. Mike Miles is a bit different just in the sense that I think he's more just almost the easiest backup point guard production you can make in this class. Just someone who's going to be a very effective, you know, third, fourth guard for a very long time. And then with Pajemski, I mean, you know, Stephen wrote about him at length this season. He's someone who has had a serious breakout year at Santa Clara, you know, following front of the program, Brandon Pajemski, following the footsteps of fellow friend of the program, J-Dub, Jay Williams, you know, very different games, of course. And I don't think Pajemski is going to end up hearing his name called 12th on draft night, but even still, just, you know, all three of these guys are never giving up on a play. You know, again, the whole thing, as you mentioned, at the very top of the section, just check the ball and let's go to war. I love all these guys. And I, I Julian Phillips, I even made the note like, yeah, he's testing the waters. We don't know if maybe he goes back for another year. But 
I've dropped him a little bit too, but that's me kind of expecting him to go back. Um, but that that's also the type of guy in this next coming months, like a strong pre-draft thing could completely shift everything. Like if yeah. he goes and maybe he plays at the combine and really has a strong performance, then everyone's gonna be like, whoa, 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 okay. Was this just a weird fit at Tennessee and, and his freshman year? Is there some stuff here? And I think me and you have talked about him before. Like I still believe in the long-term upside a lot. Um, I think there's some, some good tools that just need some patience and time. So that would be a one that maybe you're even throwing the word pre-draft around when it comes to Julian Phillips. Um, Pajemski and Mike Miles, just gamers, just play, can do a little bit of everything. I love Mike Miles. I'm right there with you. I think he looks like a guy that's just going to be a slam dunk as a backup point guard. And then maybe he just keeps improving. And one day you're like, Mike Miles is a starting point guard in the NBA. Like you, you just never know because I think he has that mentality and that type of game. The next section you've titled the game wreckers and yeah, very fitting for the four guys you have in here. Jalen Clark, Kevin McCuller, Andre Jackson, Jordan Walsh, you know, it's interesting. I'm higher on the first three guys on the list than Jordan Walsh. And so it's it's interesting for me to try to think about him in this sort of category because a lot of what I thought about with Jordan Walsh is being a little bit underwhelmed with his offense. And I've been in a similar place with Andre Jackson, you know, where, I mean, that's mostly just the scoring stuff because Andre Jackson's an exceptional passer for his position. But with Clark and Kevin McCullough, I mean, these are two of the biggest game-wrecking wing defenders in this class. So it makes total sense to me that they end up here. Again, I mean, I get why you had Jordan Walsh in this category. I totally do. It's just interesting to me because I sort of view him slightly differently than the first three guys in this category. I I, I absolutely have him lower. Um, I just think the potential of what he could develop into is one of those game records defensively where it's like, Jordan, you got one of the best guys to get after it. And I think he has that tools defensively to be just a game record at that side. Now he's got a long way to go when it comes to becoming more an all around player. But um, I still think like there is those tools. He's another guy I'd love to see go back another year, but doing the smart thing, test, go get feedback. You never know what could happen in combine week. We've seen guys stock skyrocket. You know, Andrew Nemhart last year, strong combine, all of a sudden almost ends up in the first round. Walsh, you never know. I don't think he's going to go up and put up 30, but he could be just one of those guys that everyone's buzzing about. Um, and then Jalen Clark, friend of the program, Kevin McCuller. I just love those guys. Those fantastic players that I think anywhere you get them in the draft, they've got the potential to be some that can stick figure it out and be part of a rotation down the road. And then Andre Jackson, I just adore. I, I love him. I'm so fascinated with it. I think that's the one I'm so excited to watch the pre-draft process because I think he is like inspector gadget. Like he, he's going to have games where you put him on the floor and you're like, we can't take Andre Jackson off the floor. He's just messing everything up for the other team. And his playmaking is awesome. We saw that in their title run. But then he's also got games where it's just like, okay, Andre doesn't have it. Let's put, let's try somebody else. And I'll be fascinated to see if some teams just like, we can figure this out. We can, you know, unlock this beast and, and have a really fun, unique weapon on our team. Yeah, I wrote about Andre Jackson last week. I actually wrote about Kevin McCullough last week as well. But with Andre Jackson, the part that was always the weirdest to me is it felt like he could go from like obvious NBA rotation player to like, what the hell is this faster than almost anybody else in his class? Easily. I, I, you watched that title game or you watched their tourney run 
And he makes plays that you're like, there's guys in the NBA that can't make that play. Like, it's just, you know, like, I feel, I forget who it was against, but he like jumped the pass to make an, to like intercept it and make the extra pass where it was just like a beautiful read to his teammate. And I feel like he makes some unbelievable blocks. He, you know, everyone's going to fascinate about a men Thompson's athleticism. I think he's right there. I think Andre Jackson can be full speed and take off from places. And you're like, Whoa, my goodness. So, um, I think he's got a lot of tools. It's just the shot. If someone is convinced they can figure it out to respectable level. And I'm, you know, like Sean Marion had, didn't have the greatest looking shot ever, but he figured it out and it was effective. Now, Andre Jackson's not Sean Marion, but if you could get that type of idea where it's just like, okay, he fills it up. He can play elite defense and help us out with playmaking. And he's got good instincts. Maybe, maybe he could stick. And, and I just think if you could get him in the second round and you're a smart team, I think that's where I would roll the dice. I think that's a worthy roll of the dice that could pay off in a big way. We're going to take one more quick break and we will be back right after this. So up next, we have the section you've entitled Potential Big Upside, and you've got three centers in here. James Najee, you and I talked about quite recently, so you know we can spend more time on him here, but I figure we should emphasize the other two. Adem Bona is someone who is just got this spectacular talent defensively, and you know, I wrote about him last week. I think he does enough on the offensive end. I think that's really all it boils down to is he needs to be able to do enough. And I think, you know, what he can do as a lob threat, as a cutter, you know, is enough on the offensive end. I am very curious about Derek Lively because he, you know, as you mentioned in the piece, had a sensational turnaround from, you know, essentially being like top of the pops in this class, like top five for most people. I think he was number two in his high school class, you know, to, okay, well, He's doing nothing at all for Duke. Clearly, he's going to have to come back for another year. This is not going to be a one-and-done guy. And then last couple of months of the season, he was spectacular enough on defense to you know, essentially work his way back into the first round. So very weird season for Lively. But you know, we talked about this quite a bit. It's very strange the role he had offensively for Duke and – I think that he definitely can do enough on the offensive end to justify his defense, but very weird season for him from top to bottom. Super weird. Um, It's been pretty funny to look back at it. And there's so many lively fans now. And I feel like beginning of the year, it's like no one was believing it. And now everyone's like, okay, we're in. And I'm like, wait, wait, what, what shifted? I mean, and I, he let's get it straight. Like he had a fantastic, end of the season, but there's still a lot of question marks. I think the unrealistic expectation of being the number one prospect coming out of high school Mm -hmm. and now realizing, I think that's where everyone's becoming a fan is now we're all realizing like he's not a top 10 pick. Um, He's going to be a really nice asset. If you have all the other pieces around him, like if you make life simple for him early on of like rebound block shots, play good defense, I think checks a lot of boxes, be a lob threat. I think that's going to check a lot of boxes and teams are going to be intrigued. Like adding him, like there's been some mocks with like Houston getting him as the second pick they have later in the twenties or whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? Like if you could add that second piece where it's like, we have a lot of talent, we need a, a anchor in the middle. Like then I think lively makes some sense, but I don't know. It's just going to be really fascinating to, to see where his stock is. If teams are buying into the long-term upside because he was very gifted as a shot blocker in the second half of the season. 
it'll be interesting because I don't think there's going to be a team at this point that convinces themselves that he can be a cornerstone for their offense. But I could very easily see a team in the lottery just saying, you know, what we desperately need is a defensive center and screw it. Let's just take the chance on him. And it'll be interesting because I feel like that's the kind of thing where oddly enough, even though he was the number two recruit in his high school class, it's gotten to the point where I'm concerned about where his career goes if he's overdrafted, which, you know, is not something I think most evaluators expected to say about Lively at this point in the year. But it's the kind of thing where he's done enough on defense to prove that I think he's a first round pick, but I don't think he's a lottery pick. And if a team thinks he's a lottery pick or a top 10 pick, I could very easily see those overinflated expectations being an issue. He's definitely a wild card. I mean, it would not shock me. It would surprise me. I, I, I'll say that. It would surprise me a little bit if he went lottery somehow. But if you're buying into you know, the tools developing and continuing to get some confidence and becoming more well-rounded, it would not shock me, but I still think you're looking at him as probably right outside the lottery where it's maybe late teens, um, early twenties. And you, you'd be getting yourself a really good piece. I I'd still think if you add him to a starting lineup or just a rotation or a roster that has a lot of pieces in place, absolutely. I think lively could be a great value. It's funny because without the final two months of the year, Lively could very well have ended up in this next category you have, which is, is it just a bad year? And in this category, you have Derek Whitehead and Nick Smith Jr. We talked quite a bit about Nick Smith Jr. during the It's Overthinking season podcast. And that's one where, you know, I still have him at 15 and I think it will be the kind of thing where maybe I end up dropping him lower than that by the time we actually, you know, hit draft night. But I think there's enough talent there that I would be, I'd be low. I mean, I was loath to drop him out of my lottery. I would be loath to drop him even further than I have. And then with Derek Whitehead, he's someone, you know, who similar deal, you know, I have him towards the back part of my first round, and I don't think I'm going to end up dropping him out of that first round. I think he did enough as a shooter that there's, you know, something to be seen there, but he had quite a precipitous fall from number one in his high school class. These are two guys that every year we get this same storyline, and it's important for evaluation and everything, but you, you got to ask around because they Guys will have bad freshman years that are projected one and done guys. Guys will be projected in the beginning of the year of being top 10 picks and it just doesn't click that way. So then you're like, okay, am I overanalyzing that year too much or am I going back to live off of what I saw as a high school prospect? And, you know, I've already asked around and some guys are like, it's really tough as a scout because you have to, that's when you got to figure out who what type of kid, what type of player is this? Is this a hard worker? Is this a relentless guy? Is the work ethic always been, you know, rolling throughout his career? Was he a good teammate? You got to start checking like what makes this kid, you know, tick. And, you know, Jay McDaniels with the T wolves was one of those guys that came in the year. Some thought he was a top seven pick preseason, had a nightmare year at Washington, went later. It's turned into a heck of a piece for the Timberwolves. And now with the reek, like I, I think, we never really saw the explosiveness because of the preseason um, injury to his foot. And then Jonathan Gavoni just announced that I think Dariq had like two injuries this year. Gavoni just announced that he's got to get surgery to clean up. 
another thing. So where does that monitor, you know, where does that put him in terms of NBA teams? Are they just going to be like, right. we're out? Or is someone at one point in the first round going to be like, we don't care. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll roll the dice on the upside. And um, I think Nick Smith's in the same boat, like just a tough year. But at some point in the draft, you got to trust your scouting department. And at some point in the draft, I think some scouts are going to be like, I never thought we'd have a shot at this guy. And if you believe in him finding a role with your team, someone's going to get a scoop. You just hopefully it ends up with the right fit. And these guys both have outstanding careers. I mean, there are, you know, enough teams that have multiple first round picks that I could see, you know, any of those teams like Indiana or Utah saying, you know what, I think Utah in particular would be a really interesting one, you know, for for either of those guys, but I think more for Whitehead because they would just basically use him as a spot of shooter, I'm assuming. But, you know, they had multiple first round picks. They're like, you know what, screw it. We can and should take a chance with one of these picks, right? We can and should say, you know, we think that there's more of, you know, what made Dariq the number one recruit in his high school class. We think there's more of that still in there. If he doesn't work out, he's not even our first first round pick of the year, right? You know, there are teams that can more afford to take that chance than others. And I think that ultimately there only needs to be one, right? We say it over and over again. There only needs to be one. And I think for both of these guys, there will be one team that believes enough to take the chance on them. Absolutely. I think that's where the rich get richer is if you have multiple first round picks. If you get your guy with the first one, sometimes you got to roll the dice with the second one. Sometimes you you get who you want and then you might chase that raw potential or that upside with the second one. And if you hit on both, teams going to get a lot better in a hurry. All right. And finally, for the last section here, we have Wildcard City. And so I want to wrap up the podcast by talking about my favorite one of these guys because I can never talk enough about C.D. Sissoko. So let's talk about the other guys in this category before we go to C.D. And I want to start at the bottom of your list here with Trey Alexander. He's someone who has been very interesting to me all season long because, you know, more more Metcalf than anybody else, but you know, multiple people in No Ceilings have been talking up Trey Alexander for quite a while, and I don't think I saw it as quickly. Is I guess the best way for me to put it. Yeah, I I guess that's just the best way for me to put it. You know, the idea is he's testing; he may very well return. But I'm curious what your sales pitch would be on Alexander because you know he is a solid point guard, doesn't make mistakes but if you're you know looking you mentioned if you find yourself looking for a sleeper then trey alexander should be your guy given that i write sleeper deep dives over at no ceilings nba using the word sleeper is like you know <laughs> freaking flashing red light as soon as i see that it's like oh oh really yeah i'm not quite maxwell's level but you know i try but yeah i'm i'm curious i mean there's a lot that makes sense with him that i that i like but i feel like I mean, this is more true with Arthur Columa, certainly, but I feel like I was really disappointed with some of Creighton's star-level guys this year. I Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I think what's got me so interested, and it was funny, was Metcalf was just praising Alexander at the beginning of the year, and he got kind of cool on him. And then um, when we were getting to the tournament, I was kind of just like looking at everyone, trying to get a feel. And I at that time, I was watching Kobe Buffett so closely. And... Um, I randomly, cause I was getting ready to do all these finals videos for our YouTube channel. And I'm actually in the process of like doing Trey Alexander's and I got to his numbers and Kobe Bufkin's and mm. they're so similar. And I was like, well, I'm 
jaw dropped over Kobe Bufkin's numbers. And now I'm seeing Trey Alexander's numbers. They're very similar, very close with the productivity. Like he finished with this year with 13.6 points, 4.2 rebounds, 2.6 assists, shooting splits of 44, 41, 82. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. And, and, and I think I'm just at the point with him where it's like, maybe this is where you get some really good value. If, if, and he's, I, he's testing, I kind of am obsessively wanting to, figure out what he's going to do. Cause I'm like, I got him in my top 40. Um, and I feel like if like, this could be the Nimhart if he played at the combine, I think this could be the guy that like has a good game. And all of a sudden it's like some teams are buzzing about Nim or uh, Trey Alexander as a potential late first round pick. And I'm like, that's how quick it happens. And I think it's just like, he's still a little bit younger. Um, he's got some good size, smart player. I thought in the tournament, he showed some really good flashes of like, okay, there's something here. So another guy that just comes down to intangibles, what type of player is he? Is he a hard worker? If teams are convinced that he's just going to be this really nice piece. Like I I wouldn't be shocked if Trey Alexander is just one of these sleepers. Like it's so hard at no ceilings to talk to people and they're like, who are sleepers? And I'm like, I've talked about 900 prospects this year. So I don't even know who as I could categorize that, but like, Alexander um, would probably be at the top of my list of a guy that I think isn't getting enough buzz going into the combine, but I could see him or, you know what I'm just saying? Like not enough buzz right now. Mm -hmm. And obviously the combine list is going to come out soon and we'll have all those official names, but I just could see him being a name that starts to heat up a little bit because I've liked what I've seen. So also on this list, you have Amari Bailey who. It's interesting because Bailey was someone who sort of like Lively was, you know, seen as a top prospect heading in, absolutely fell off boards, and then had a much stronger second half of the year that made it easier to buy in. But yeah, it'll it'll be weird because I feel like he's the kind of situation where a team's gonna have to fall in love with him for him to get drafted where he wants to go. And it'll be interesting to see who that team is. Really weird. Um I put him in here because it was just one of those, like I wanted everyone to kind of be alert of like, this is a name that you need to pay attention to. Right. Um, because it, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he declared and was like adamant. Like I'm, I'm declared I'm staying in the draft. Yeah. I, like, I think he signed with someone, which yeah, is like, so I think he's cool. all in and I was like, Whoa. And then I saw him in the very beginning of the year and I wasn't, I wasn't sold going into seeing him. I was just like, I still got some mm-hmm. questions. I don't know if he's a first rounder. It's very early, but I was like, let's just see what happens. And then I went and saw him in person. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't leave there like convinced. And then he had a really strong second half of the year. Um, last six games, he averaged 17.3 points per game while shooting 46.7% from three. And it was just a stretch of games where I was like, uh Oh, light bulb just came on. Here we go. He's surgeon. So I don't know. I, I think that is a wild card where some team might look at that stretch and be like, this is the player we think he's starting to develop into. We can maybe get him later in the draft. But I have some questions still. I just think this is a, a name you have to watch closely um, throughout this process because obviously he feels pretty good about his stock if he's just adamantly like, I'm in. And I was like, all right, all right, let's see. But um, I did think he was playing more composed in the second half of the year. I did one of his uh, finals breakdowns just recently and thought the second half of the season, he looked much more comfortable. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what you expect for most first year players in college, right? That, you yes. know, you get... 
it's how it is exactly. for everybody coming into the NBA. It's how it is for everybody every time they move up a level. And, you know, it's, it's funny because, like, the guys who figure it out immediately are the freaks that we should, you know, notice more as this is different than the usual rather than, oh, Amari Bailey didn't live up to expectations. Right, right, exactly. Up next, we have Jalen Wilson out of Kansas. He's someone who I've been lower on than I think pretty much everybody at No Ceilings. I still have him as a clear second round guy. You know, I think there's definitely a place for him in the NBA, but this season was, I don't know. I mean, it's weird to say about a 20 and eight season, but you know, if you look on the surface, you know, the numbers are pretty similar to Chris Murray, but if you think about it in terms of, you know, how much I believe in their potential NBA future, I came away from this season, you know, much higher on Chris Murray than I am on Jalen Wilson. He's, he's been fascinating to me all year because I thought there was going to be someone at no ceilings. that was just like really in on Jalen Wilson and, and everyone seems to be kind of in the same boat for the most part. And, um, you know, it's just funny to see the lack of love for someone that just averaged 20 a game and for a powerhouse team. And I think it, it's going to draw some interesting debate because is this type of production going to go away with a limited role? And that's what I try to highlight is like some teams either going to be like, hey, he was force fed this year. And, and Wilson admitted he's like, hey, Ochai Baji left for the draft. And I think he went up and he's like, I want to be this year's Ochai. I want to be the guy that needs to carry the load offensively. And I think he was great for them. But now when you're getting less touches, can you still be effective? Can you be more efficient? And that's why I'm saying uh, I think he could be a, an intriguing pick at some point where maybe you're a team with multiple picks and you get who you want in the first two. And you're like, you know what? Maybe we'll let's just try to see if Jalen Wilson could be a guy that sticks and is our seventh or eighth guy moving forward for a while. And maybe that's where you do find great value. It's funny for me because, you know, we were talking about this with Grady Dick earlier and there was the playback that I did with Steven when, you know, Grady Dick put up, you know, crazy numbers in the first half and, then they tried to, I think it was Alabama if I'm remembering correctly, but they tried to shut him out basically for the second half. And, you know, it was a constant thing of like, okay, this is Jalen Wilson's shot. This is Jalen Wilson's shot. And he just wouldn't take it. And, you know, that's one game. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form basing my entire evaluation or, you know, even more than a small part of my evaluation on that. But that's sort of where the worry is for me is that he got force fed a lot and sometimes that worked out really well, but when it didn't, it, you know, kind of called into question the whole exercise in my mind. Absolutely. And that's why I think some teams are going to have to evaluate that as like, okay, do we believe, because if you go back to his other years, like he, he was still a good player, but this type of production jump was because he was just force fed shots. So some teams are going to be like, okay, is he going back to the junior player, which, you know, might have been a mid right second round pick, or do you think now that these numbers can lead to another level of his game being unlocked with limited touches? And if that's the case, maybe he does go earlier in the second round or late first round. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. And finally, you have one of my favorite players in this draft class, CD Sissoko of the Chile Knight. CD is someone who showed just ludicrous playmaking all season long, but really started to heat up in terms of his scoring down the stretch of the season. And, you know, it got to a point where he was, you know, he was an 18 year old who was putting up 20 points a game in one of the best professional leagues in the world. And you and I have talked time and time again about how much we value production in non-college leagues. And, 
you know, from that front, if you're just watching the film, CD has one of the craziest highlight reels in his class. I mean, he can absolutely get up at times for poster dunks and his passing reel, again, just absolutely ridiculous. But ultimately, you know, that combined with the numbers that he was putting up in one of the best professional leagues in the world, it's hard for me to doubt him. And I'm very glad that you're starting to come around on him as a riser in this class, in this draft class, because I've loved him for you know, quite a while in this class. Yeah, that's that's why I love doing those finals videos is because it makes me in a weird way. Like I have to watch every possible clip I can get my hands on. And um, it also gives me the ability to kind of measure everyone's highs against each other. Um, and after I watched City's film, I was just like, "Woo, okay. Like, yes, this is fun. And that's when you start really after you're very intrigued, you start diving deeper to watch everything. And I saw him in the beginning of the year um, when he played against Victor and Metropolitans and everyone obviously was intrigued with Scoop versus Victor, but City just made a couple plays where I was like, okay, like it was a little chaotic, I, but I was like, this is the perfect prospect for the Ignite to groom, <laughs> to like get him just un, you know, put the pieces together for City Sissoko because I, I just continue to praise the Ignite. They're fantastic with the development and seeing what he developed into from that first game. Cause the first game he had a couple plays that were beautiful. He had a couple plays where I was like, okay, this is where you're going to have to work on him with where it's just like slowing down or understanding. Don't be too much in a hurry. The playmaking, the, the flashes defensively, like he's nasty. He gets downhill. He's very nasty. So um, he's been one of my biggest risers. I, I've, I keep moving him up and um, I've got him in my top 25. I love City Soka. I think this is a, a real serious talent, and he's he's continued to carry the torch for the Ignite of, look at what we can groom you into from the start of the year to the end of the year. And, and Leonard Miller's right there with that. Like What I saw Leonard Miller in the beginning of the year compared to his film at the end of the year, that is a two different players. That is completely different. So um, I, I think the Ignite, doing a fantastic job. I think Sissoko is going to be one of those guys that's a really good addition by whatever team drafts him. The Kings. We need him to go to the Kings. I'm rooting for him to go to the Kings. Nick, I'll tell you right now, if he goes to the Kings, I will get a city Sissoko jersey, and I haven't bought a jersey in like 10 years. So there you go. Maybe a t-shirt jersey. T-shirt jersey. If he goes to the Kings, then we're getting matchy city Sissoko jerseys. I'm in. I'm in. 100%. (laughs) We just made that rule. So there you go. Perfect. Done and done. I think the other thing with City that's important, his jumper took a huge step forward this season. And that's going to be a huge determinant for how he fits into whatever NBA rotation he ends up going to next year. He had a jumper, I feel like it was in the beginning of the year, where it was like a pull-up jumper. And it was just the least confident you know, look ever. (laughs) At the end of the year, it was like, oh, I'm open, nothing but net. Like It was just like, that is a huge step for him. So... Obviously, he's going to have some some stuff to keep working on, keep developing. But I think that's what you want. That's what the NBA wants with this Ignite program is how they've developed them from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And it's just been fantastic to see City especially. Um, I think he's going to potentially keep being a guy that's just moving on up. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this one up? No, I got nothing, Nick. This is a, another great one with you. I appreciate you having me on and, you know, just counting down the days. We what, at Tomorrow, when people are listening to this, it'll be a week until the lottery. So, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> wow. It's not as if we haven't been, you know, flying off the rails for months now, but now we're really flying off yeah. the rails. Now it's, now it's full tilt, you know.
All right. Well, he is Tyler Rucker. You can find him on Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker and running a lot of the mean craziness over at the No Ceilings NBA account. And of course, you can find his written work over on NoCeilingsNBA.com. And you can find him on the Friday show with Tyler Metcalf every Friday, as one might gather from being the Friday show. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson, and you can find my written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And as always, thanks so much for listening.